0: In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story, and that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. I want you to think as we jump into this of your story, personally. Your personal story, uh, from as far back as you can remember to now. And I'm not gonna have you write your biography or anything today, don't worry. But just the, the details of it, the people, the places, the geography, the, the moves maybe that you've, you've made, the, uh, the people who have had influence on your life for good or bad, the antagonists and the, and the heroes of your story, the allies of your, of your story. Uh, think about the unique ways that your story is maybe different than most people, and then also there's ways that all of our stories are somewhat similar. What were the what are the wins in your story? The losses in your story? The wounds of your story? The redemption of your story? Kind of think of that as as you can, because what we're going to see in the book of Ephesians is that the gospel story shapes our story. It actually revolutionizes the story of our own lives, and then together as a community, all of our stories. And we're going to see that through, in every chapter, all through this this book as we go through it. Now, we have a, a realization, I think, for those, especially who've been in maybe spent a lot of time in, in church, that our story is a part of God's bigger story. The grand redemptive narrative, if you will, of all time, the story arc that goes from creation and Adam and Eve in the garden all the way to the end when, when God will call home all of his, his children in glory. That that big story of God's redemption through Jesus, that we find a place in it. But we're not just a cog in the wheel of that story. That story is, is not just kind of this uh, maybe big tapestry that then we're just a couple threads in it. It's actually this moving, breathing, living story that takes your story, if you're a Christian, and absolutely transforms every single aspect of it. It saturates every part of your story. That's what the gospel, if you're a a Christian, the gospel is right now in the process of taking your story and absolutely transforming every single part of it cascading down into all the details of your story. Holistic, total transformation. That's the goal of the gospel. And so in the book of Ephesians and in these first two verses today, what we'll see is that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of your story. Every single part of it can be transformed by the gospel. And that's actually what you were made for. So the book of Ephesians is going to say you were made to have the gospel transform every aspect of your story. The, the most life and joy and satisfaction to be found in this brutal world is, is there. The gospel transforming. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're only going to cover two verses today, but they're rich, uh, very rich, and they're going to help introduce the entire uh, uh, letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, so we'll kind of have an overview today of the book, but we're also going to dig into these verses. And in these verses, we'll be introduced to the author of the book, we'll be introduced to the audience of the book, and most importantly, we'll be introduced to this beautiful gospel display of what it is, that what the gospel is, and how it is transforming our very lives. Verse 1 starts this way, with an introduction to the author. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Just a few words, but there's a lot of information that's already been given to us about Paul. Now again, this may be rehashing, for those of you that, that have been in the Sunday school and in the church camps and in all of this, you may be very, very familiar with the apostle Paul's story. But there's some clues there. This this verse is saying that he's a sent person. That's what apostle means. Belonging to Jesus. Jesus has a claim on his life, and it's by the will of God that he is doing what he's doing. So he's, he's sent forth by the will of God. Now, if you remember Paul's story, he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He's actually on his way to Damascus, a, a, a city To, uh, imprison, drag out of their homes, uh, Christians, bring charges against them and imprison them when God meets him on the road. Jesus does. Knocks him off his horse with a bright light and, and he, in that moment, comes to faith in Jesus, not as his enemy, but as his friend and as his savior. By the will of God, trans, I mean, you talk about total transformation. You talk about headed in one direction and then being flipped To head in a different direction, that's what the gospel does in the life of Paul. By the will of God, he is is chosen. He's an apostle. That means a sent one, someone who is sent on a mission to do something. And his mission, of course, is the Great Commission. Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the mission that Paul is on, to go to the world and make disciples, to see people have their lives transformed by the gospel. And he belongs to Jesus. We read this verse, uh, Josh did during, during our song set. This is Paul's testimony in the book of Galatians. So what he says about himself. This is his identity. This is how he sees himself as a human. This is his DNA. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead to myself. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every aspect of Paul's life is being transformed by the gospel. The story becomes even more beautiful when you know the surrounding parts of it. When you know his past, that he was a persecutor of Christians. There's another image of Paul. He's also known as Saul, by the way. One was his Hebrew name, one was his Gentile name. But he is standing there. Stephen, this great uh, saint of God who is proclaiming the gospel, is brought out into the middle of the street and stoned to death for proclaiming the truth about Jesus. And in that scene... You know who's running coat check? Saul. They take their coats, right? Because you got to have your arms free. If you're going to peg somebody to death with rocks, right? You can't be restricted by your jacket. So they take their coats off and they lay them down at the feet of Saul. That's where he was. But now, right, if you look at his present, he is now imprisoned in Rome for the first time. This is about 61, 62 A.D., He's now the one in prison for proclaiming Jesus. He went from someone who was imprisoning followers of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus who's in prison. That's a total transformation. That means that every aspect of his life is being transformed by the gospel. They throw him in prison, right? What's Paul going to do in prison? Write letters? That's exactly what he does. In his first stint in the Roman prison, he writes... uh, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Three letters that he sends out to different churches. And and this one, right, he sends likely by the hand of a man named Tychicus. So it's map time. I always do this. That's the overview, right? I got to nerd out just a bit. But there's a reason for this. There really is a reason that I'm passionate about. This helps us put What can be just, especially if we grew up in church, just flannel graph lessons and flashcard lessons from our past into real space and time. These are true events. These things really happened in real life. And so the people at Ephesus are living, breathing people whose lives were transformed by the gospel. And so that means that that gospel that changed the lives of those living, breathing people can also change the lives of these Living, breathing people here in this, in this room. So if you look at this map now, that kind of red box, right, it, it's a little generous, but that's the vast majority of Paul's life is in those, those areas. Rome up to the uh, left corner of this box, if you zoom in, and Jerusalem down to the bottom right. That's kind of the scope of his travels. Back then, the city names were different. Uh, the, uh, the, the cities, some of those cities no longer exist. Some of them still do, but under different names. But you can see like Thessalonica, first and second Thessalonians. You can see Philippi, the book of Philippians. There's a church in those places. You can see Corinth, first and second Corinthians. These were the places that Paul saw churches planted. And there you see Ephesus and Colossae. The reason that matters is because in this Roman prison with his dear friend, Tychicus, Paul writes these letters. And he likely writes the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, and the book of Philemon at the same time, or in the you know in order there. And then he hands them to his friend Tychicus. And there's a, a previous slave named Onesimus who belonged to a guy named Philemon. That's one of those letters is written to this guy. And he says, "Here, take these letters and deliver them." And so they get on a boat, most likely, and they hopefully had a better path than the one I drew, but they get over there to the port city of Ephesus, most likely, again, we don't know all of this with 100% certainty, but they leave the letter for Ephesus there, possibly distributing it to churches along the way as they go to Colossae, where they then deliver the book of Colossians and the book of, of Philemon. Real manuscripts, written in Greek, right? These living, breathing documents now, they were... Once in their original form being carried by the hands of real living, breathing people. Ephesus was a massive city. Close to half a million people, most likely. Possibly one of the biggest, uh, cities in the, in the modern world at the, at the time. What would have been the, the the world at the time. And I find a lot of similarities here, because if you kind of look at what's been unearthed, I told you we were nerding out. If you look what's been unearthed, you'll see like a stadium for sports, where you can go and watch sports. Sound familiar? And and then there's like the Harbor Baths. You want a spa day, you can go to there for the spa day. That's uh, There's a gymnasium if you want to get your Planet Fitness on and go work out New Year's resolution. You can head over there. There's an athletic field where you can play sports. Maybe you like to watch them or you can play them. If you're bored with that, you can go to the theater, a little bit of entertainment, right? We're at the multiplex. There's a brothel. It's not on there because this was a Bible. It was, it's a map from my Bible. They don't want to talk about that in here. But there was a brothel as well, kind of over there. And then if you were to go up to the north of that stadium, today you would find what looks like this. But that is all that remains of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a, a temple to the god Artemis, the false god. Artemis. This is Ephesus. But it sounds so familiar to me. Ephesus does. We can Amazon Prime and shop local, get whatever goods and services we want at any time, right? Just like they could. They're a port city. All the goods and services coming through. They had everything they needed to be be comfortable. We got movies and TV shows at our fingertips. We got ball fields all around. Dozens dozens of channels where we can watch sports right like we we have the sports we've got the we've got the shopping we've got the entertainment you have our spa days we get our bath salts we've even got these chairs right that you can sit in and put money in and they will massage you right you seen them over at pump up the fun right they're there uh, we have friends from Ethiopia and we were there for a birthday party And his mom had come over from Ethiopia. They'd gotten her a a visa to visit. And she sat in that chair, (laughs) and it blew her mind. Can you imagine, right? Like, what is this thing? We have all the things we need to be comfortable. You can meet up with anybody for anything, literally anybody, for anything, and all you need is an app on your phone. You can go out or stay in and still eat like a king. And religion abounds in our society. We're a lot like Ephesus. They had everything that they needed to be comfortable. The Christians there would have faced some persecution, but not like the persecution the Christians in Rome would have faced. There would have been a certain level of comfort. Everyday, ordinary comfort for everyone there. They could have indulged in whatever they wanted to. We've got religion, right? Like if you want religion now, especially in in America, you can go to a church with high liturgy or a church with cool vibes. You can find either one. You can go to a place where a pastor wears a suit or wears jeans. You can go to a church where they have liberal politics or conservative politics. I mean, you can find whatever you smorgasbord of, of religious opportunities. And if Christianity's not your thing, there's a thousand other places where you can exercise those religious desires that you have. All of us are painfully aware that we have a soul and we have a tsunami of options for how we can numb it. Jared Wilson says this, and I've taken a little liberty, where you see places like Barbersville, you get the word suburbs, is how he would have said it in his writing. I think the spirit at work in places like Barbersville tends to smother the Christian spirit. The message of places like Barbersville in a nutshell is self-empowerment, self-enhancement, self-fulfillment. Self Self is at the center, and all things serve the self. The primary values of places like Barbersville are convenience, abundance, and comfort. In places like Barbersville, you can have it all, and you can get it made to order in a supersized cup with an insulated sleeve. Now, that's not a bad thing. That that has been true of spaces and places since Ephesus and before. But the truth, the reality of it is, if we're not aware of how numbing all these comforts can be, then they will do just that to us. They will numb us to our need for the gospel. All the comfort, all the availability of all the pleasures and, and things that distract us and things that we love and things that we desire to do can put us in a place where we don't understand how desperately we need the gospel. That's what could have happened in Ephesus. But instead, Paul says to them, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I say that's a miracle, right? In Rome, if you were a Christian, right, they would put you out in the street, pour oil on top of you and use you as a, and they'd light you up with fire so you could light up the streets at, at night. That was your end in Rome. If you were in Ephesus, you probably just got chided by your friends or your family. Why aren't, you, why aren't you participating in this? Or why aren't you doing that? Or why are you giving your life away to this self-sacrificing religion of Christianity? Why don't you live a little, right? But either way, the fact that these saints are faithful is miraculous. Just as miraculous as it is in Rome in the midst of suffering. It's just as miraculous to be a faithful Christian in the midst of, of comfort and having everything at your fingertips. And that's where they were, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. They're faithful for the same reason that Paul is faithful, because they were chosen by God, saved by God. Paul's not reacting to any drama in this letter. You read the books to the churches in Corinth. There's some pretty scandalous stuff going on there, even Galatians. Uh, you remember he writes against the Judaizers, the folks who have come in and tried to, to, to uh, steal away grace by faith from the church there in Galatia. But Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, these guys, are they're, they're doing it right. They're faithful. They're remaining true to the gospel. This has become their identity. Blessed be the God and Father. These verses are for next, our, our sermon next week. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons. It wasn't just Paul who was chosen by God. All the saints of God, all the Christians in the world have been chosen for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will, by the will of God, just like Paul said, I'm apostle by the will of God, we are called by the will of God to follow Him. According to the purpose of His will, to the praising of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. Now here's my point. We need the gospel just as much today as we did yesterday. What's going to happen to the church at Ephesus is revealed to us in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. You're going to read here, these. there's seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. This is after Paul is dead and gone, that church has survived for however long, and this is what is said to them. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his, in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden Lamp stands, sounds like Harry Potter or something. I know your works, he says, your toil and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. That all sounds so good so far, so commending of them. You're doing it right still. You're you're not susceptible to false teaching. You're being faithful. You're being patient. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. See, what's going to happen at the church of Ephesus is they're going to trade a relationship with Jesus for religiosity in Jesus. They're going to become legalistic, very obedient people, but they're not going to feel love in their hearts for Jesus. It won't be a relationship to them anymore. It'll become a whip, a legalistic pursuit of obeying a checklist of things that God has called them to do. They're going to lose that love inside of them. That's what comfort can do to us just as quickly as suffering can. It can take us to a place where we trade out A relationship with God to just, okay, i got to fit this into my schedule. These religious practices, this weekend at church, i got to fit that in there amongst everything else. Instead of letting it transform us completely, that who we are at the ball field, we don't stop going to the ball field, but who we are at the ball field changes. We don't stop going to eat at all these great restaurants that we have here in Barbersville, but who we are when we go to them changes. We don't stop going to the movie theater. We don't even stop, you know, going out to be entertained and wherever. But who we are changes. That's the point. Because if it's not holistic change of everything that we are, then eventually we just squeeze our religion in to our box along with everything else. And that's what's going to happen, sadly, to the church at Ephesus. So Paul doesn't know that. But he knows that we're all susceptible to that. So he gives them this charge, our last verse for today. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And what I know Paul is saying to them is, church at Ephesus, I know you've been faithful. The gospel has transformed your lives. It's obvious. I don't have anything to reprimand you for. I don't have any huge doctrinal issues that I got to correct, like I do in all these other letters that I'm writing as I sit here in prison. You've been faithful. But you will not continue to be faithful unless you continue to rely on the peace and grace that comes from God. Might we, as we travel through this book of Ephesus, a book to the, uh, or this letter to the church at Ephesus, be reminded of how deeply we still need the grace and peace that comes from God. We never fail to need it. We never get to the place where we've got things figured out and and don't need the gospel. Our need for the gospel is forever ongoing. The gospel that saved you is the gospel that keeps you, and it will be the gospel that carries you home. You needed the gospel yesterday. If you're a Christian, you need it today, and you'll need it tomorrow. We never graduate from our need for the gospel. We have, to, we have the need for ongoing uh, grace from God. We are still poor and needy in spirit, even as, as Christians. There are still things that we lack. There are still ways that we fail. Right? I mean, let's be honest, okay? You could have followed me around over Christmas break. It wasn't always pretty. It just wasn't. We still need grace from God. We can't find forgiveness and reconciliation on our own. We can't find rest and peace and hope and freedom from guilt and shame on our own. We, just, we don't have the capacity to find those things, let alone to find favor with God. Hebrews says, apart from Jesus, it's impossible to please God. We are incapable of, of achieving the favor of God for ourselves. We need grace forever. We need the spiritual ra- uh, riches of another It's our only chance at peace, which is what he says they need, too. And we need peace. And if you don't know by now, your bank account is not going to give you a full measure of peace. Now, your bank account may give you a little bit more peace than maybe if it was less full. But it won't give you full, lasting, complete peace. It can't. It's not capable of doing that. Your spouse can't give you peace. Your kids can't give you peace. You know that for sure. Your marriage can't give you peace. A divorce can't give you peace. Now, I'm not saying that they don't provide for you maybe a certain measure of peace, but lasting, true, full, untouchable, undestroyable peace can't be found in any of those things. We have to know that by now. Nothing this world has to offer can bring peace. You're not going to... If your parents finally affirm you the way you've been longing for them to affirm you it's not going to give you the peace that you need if you get enough likes on social media you get it there's no peace there peace must come from god by the grace that is ours through jesus christ that's why he says grace to you and peace not some self-originating thing but from god our father and the lord jesus christ that's the source Jesus. He'll be lifted high every week in this place. And if he's ever not, then I want you to strap me to a rail car and send me out of here. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The truth is we couldn't generate peace. We couldn't generate grace. We couldn't generate forgiveness, but God could and he gave his son Jesus to die for sinners like me and sinners like you on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, his blood, gives us the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And that peace, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things, the forgiveness, the peace, the grace, the goodness of God can be yours only through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And through faith, you get peace. And through faith, you get grace. And through faith, you get complete life transformation by the gospel story. The gospel story transforms your story through faith. So if you're not a Christian today, trust jesus today if you have questions about what that means i would love to answer them pastor josh would love to answer them what it means to be a a christian but if you are a christian i'm gonna close with a homework assignment (laughs) happy new year maybe you have paper with you now you can get a head start but if you don't I, i mean i'm not checking anybody's work either so you'll be fine two columns on a piece of paper Left column, right column, and then the first column, the one on the left. I want you to think and and write down one or two ways that you need the power of the gospel to transform your story. You're a Christian. You've been saved by God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, but you still have areas in your life where you need transformation. What are one or two of those? If at the end of this year you could say these are one or two things that were true about me on January 1, 2022, that are no longer true about me on December thirty first, 2022, what would they be? Do you need healing, maybe physically or spiritually or emotionally? That would go in that column. Do you need freedom uh, from a certain thing that's, that's dragging you down? That would go in that column. Do you need victory over a certain sin or habit that you're trying to break? Do you need rest? Do you need peace? Again, that's column one. What are some ways that you need the gospel to transform your story? We have an ongoing need for the gospel. That's what that column, that's part of, that's why that exercise is given to you, so that we can remember how much we need gospel. In the other column, though, I want you to write one or two ways in your past that you have seen the power of the gospel transform. your life. One column is for the need. One column is for the evidence of times that it's happened before. You've had healing. You've had freedom. You've had victory or rest or peace. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. This is a that that column is about remembering that column is about knowing that God is faithful to transform his people, because you didn't do that. God did. He transformed you through Jesus. Jesus' heart for you is still the same, gentle and lowly, right? He comes to you. He doesn't see your sin and pull back. He moves to you even in your sinfulness and even in your brokenness as a Savior who loves you deeply and whose love for you cannot fail, not will not fail, cannot fail. He moves to you where you are. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. And so my hope, right, is that the column on the left the one with the things areas where we need transformation our story to be transformed by the gospel that will by the grace of God not by our own ingenuity and strength but by the grace of God start seeing those things move over into the other column because the grace of God that accomplished everything in that column that you write of, of that God has transformed your life is the same grace and the same power that will pull off the transformation of the things in the column of of need And you can trust him to be faithful. And by God's grace, might the column on the right, column number two, get longer and longer. And one day the promise of scripture is this, that every single aspect of your life will be in that column. Maybe not in this life, but in the life to come, you will be made perfect before God. There will be nothing left in the other column. God's going to transform your life completely. The gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of your story. That's what you were made for. Not just in your past, yesterday, today, and forever. That's the reality you're made for. We're going to see that in the book of Ephesians, and I'm so excited to walk through it together with all of you. Father, thank you so much for your word. We need it. I don't have any good ideas really don't. You have the best ideas. I don't have any original truth, but you have the only truth. I don't have any ways to life, but you are the way, the truth, and the life. We see that today, and might we see that as we journey through the book of Ephesians, and may our stories be transformed by the gospel story. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.